Welcome to the show where we help you make smart nutrition simple. If you want proven nutrition strategies to help you build a better body and create the energy to show up for your family without overly restrictive and unrealistic dieting, then you're in the right place. Make sure to subscribe and enjoy this episode. What if I told you that there were no rules when it comes to weight loss? How would it make you feel if you knew you could eat literally anything you want and still make progress? And what if I said the problem isn't the food? It's the way that we're thinking about the food. You'd probably say I was full of it. If you don't know who I am, my name is Ben Brown and I'm the owner of BSL Nutrition, an online nutrition coaching company that helps you change your belief system around what it means to be healthy. And in this conversation with my friend Mike Milner, owner of POP, Peak Optimization Performance, we discuss exactly why our mindset plays such a pivotal role in our long-term weight loss success. Mike shares with us his background and personal experience with yo-yo dieting and the all-or-nothing mindset and how his experiences and frustrations with the nutrition industry propelled him into a successful career helping other men and women like him change their relationship with dieting, with food, with their body, and with their unrealistic expectations around what healthy weight loss and body composition change actually looks like. I hope you find this conversation as enlightening and motivating as I did. Mike Milner, welcome to the Smart Nutrition Made Simple show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Dude, super excited to have the opportunity to have a conversation with you, to share your knowledge and wisdom with our listeners. So Mike, you have carved out a nice little kind of niche, if you will, um, in the health and fitness and nutrition space with respect to mindset. And so I'm curious, and I suppose this would be an opportune time to, to infuse some of your background information, but specifically around why is it that you have put so much focus into mindset as being the driving force behind lifestyle change? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, and I think that mindset has become a buzzword in the fitness space. And I think that a lot of coaches, unfortunately, throw it around as in they know that it's important, but they don't truly know what it means. I think you hear mindset and it's like, okay, I know that it, I know that my thoughts matter. I know that my beliefs matter. I know that my relationship with food matters, but they don't actually understand the psychology of what we're trying to accomplish as coaches. It's a very nuanced and complicated situation, right? Trying to change your habits, your lifestyle, your body composition, all of those things are dynamic and nuanced and very personal. So what I learned very early on in my coaching career was that we can't treat this problem that we're facing. And, and the problem can be different for, for every individual, but anybody listening that has a problem of not feeling comfortable in their own skin or wanting to lose 20 pounds or a hundred pounds, or just wanting to feel more confident in the clothes that they're wearing, or just wanting to be a better example for their kids, whatever it is, there's something that's causing you pain. And solving that problem is an adaptive problem. It's not a technical one. And what I mean by that is a technical problem is like, I stepped on a rusty nail. I got tetanus. I need a tetanus shot, right? It's very technical. It's like, here's the prescription. Now go do it. Mm -hmm. And for the longest time, we've been treating nutrition, weight loss, fitness as right. the technical problem. Like, let me just prescribe this 
these macros well, and like a, a calculator based problem too. It's like, exactly. you know, here's your X's and O's exercise this much, eat this much or this little. And, you know, on paper, everything should work out just fine. Exactly. So it's like, here's your meal plan. Here's your prescription. Now go do it. And like problem solved, except that's not how humans work. We're dealing with right. again, an adaptive problem. And, and the difference is that an easy way to understand this is anybody that has kids that has multiple children, you know, that they're very different in their personality, their characteristics, their nature. So if you had a situation where let's say there was like heartbreak in the family, or you lost a pet, or there was a really difficult situation that was causing them pain, you would probably approach the conversation differently with each individual child because of the way that they're wired, right? You know, their disposition as their parent, you know, all right, for this kid, I need to maybe take a more gentle approach. And, mm -hmm. and the solution of overcoming that pain is going to be very personalized. Their grieving process, how they cope with that, those emotions that they're dealing with. It's, it's not just, let me write this prescription, right? You can't just hand them a playbook and say, here's how you get over this heartbreak. And that's exactly what we're dealing with when it comes to uh, you know, a fitness journey, a nutrition journey, weight loss journey, whatever you want to call it. And the way that I learned that was that I tried the, the technical solution. I tried the meal plans. I tried the 1200 calorie diets. I tried doing hours of cardio. I tried following what coaches were prescribing me. And it led me down a path of moving further and further away from where I actually wanted to be. Um, so I know this is a very long-winded answer, but that's no, how that's good. the emphasis on mindset. And I really wanted to un unpack what I mean by mindset. It's like, what what is the adaptive solution for each individual starting mm -hmm. from like a top-down approach? How do we create behavior change that's actually sustainable? Uh, so I learned from, from my own journey of, of trying to change my own physical appearance and improve my relationship with food, with my body, with exercise, something that I had struggled with for a long portion of my life. It was, you know, how do I get there? And um, I did things the technical way and, and it didn't work. So I very quickly learned that I need to understand the psychology of this. And it took me away from spending so much time learning about human metabolism and nutritional science, which was like a big portion. I was like, if I know everything, if I can totally, if I could recite studies and all of this information, I can help all of these people. And that just wasn't happening. So right. I really started focusing my efforts on uh, how do we think and how do we actually change our behavior and how do we deal with individuals who are all different and unique? And that's where you mentioned my niche of uh, really focusing on mindset and the personality of the, the people that we're coaching to create this, this sustainable lifestyle mm -hmm. change. You know, it's interesting because I think, and, and I have this conversation a lot with guests, especially because a lot of the guests that I have have been in the industry for a relatively long period of time. And I think inevitably when you've done what we do for long enough, you realize, and, and perhaps when you've taken the route that most coaches take the technical route of, I need to learn all of the fundamental skills around exercise and nutrition and understanding research and metabolism and biochemistry. And as long as I understand that stuff and the implications of calorie intake um, and expenditure, well, then I will be a great coach and I'll be able to help people get great results. Uh, and of course, what we realize is that it's much more complex. It's much more behaviorally driven, much more habit driven, much more mindset driven, as you said, adaptive and individualized. I get that you know 
what you're supposed to be doing, but what is the underlying reason why you can't do it? Let's talk about that. And what are the limiting factors here so we can overcome those? With you as an individual, obviously you talk about how you had to figure this out on your own. What was it that propelled you into the dieting space or the fitness space or like why you do what you do in the first place? Yeah. So I started, I mean, I grew up an athlete and played sports my whole life. And uh, it was funny because when I was growing up, there was a lot around me in my home environment that I was exposed to in the quote unquote diet industry. My mom was always on a diet. My oldest sister almost lost her life to anorexia. Uh, at some point in time, everybody in my immediate family had some form of disordered eating, uh, body image issues, things like that. We've all dealt with it. And I felt like I was the lucky one because I played sports, I was active, I was always relatively lean and just was like, great, I, I got dealt an amazing hand. I don't have to worry about this like the rest of my family. Until after college, once organized sports was over, I wasn't as active, but I had picked up some typical college kid habits that continued on. I was drinking way too much and eating way too much. And what felt like overnight, I found myself unrecognizable. It was like looking in the mirror and not knowing who was looking back. And because I had ingrained so much of my identity in being an athlete, it was a total like identity shattering moment of, yeah. I can't go see friends because they're going to say, what the hell happened to you? I can't see yeah. family members that I haven't seen in a while. I can't step on a basketball court or a tennis court because I'm embarrassed by what can I do physically now that I'm this overweight. And at that point it was, I, I was even afraid to step on the scale when I finally did it was like 250 pounds and I had been, you know, 170, 180 my whole life, um, you know, when, as an adult. So that was the moment of like, I need to fix this immediately. And by fix it, it was, let me just do what I think I have to do, which is starve myself. And I, I was very susceptible to uh, the marketing of the diet industry. That was what I was exposed to as a kid. So were you already like personal training or anything or what were you? Not, not at all. I had no exposure okay. to, to the only thing that I had exposure to was sports. I had no idea about strength training and building muscle. Okay. I had no idea about macros or any of that stuff. Never heard calories in calories out. I was completely new. All I knew was that I probably needed to stop eating so much and I probably needed to be more active. So I started doing hours of cardio and I bought this, this cardio machine that like to, to give you some insight into how naive I was, I'm watching this commercial on TV the and gazelle. It's, it's actually called a tread climber. <laughs> and we're like, we've combined the science oh. of the treadmill with the, with the stair climber to 17 X your calorie burn in half the time. And they make, they make this big, bold yeah. promise about how many calories you're going to burn. I'm like, Oh my God, I need that. So I buy this equipment. And when I got it, there was this little manual and the last page of the manual had, had a meal plan. It was like, if you're going to do the tread climber for an hour a day, this is what we recommend eating. And it could, it could not have been more than 1200 calories. And, and that's probably um, generous. It, it may have been less, but I followed it like to a T and, and in the manual, they're like, drink ice cold water all day long to increase your metabolic burn. So you're going to burn even more calories. It was just like all of this craziness. And I lost a lot of weight very quickly. And then I gained it all back. And, and that just started the cycle of chronic dieting. And the thing that changed everything for me was finding strength training. I moved to a new city, a new town um, in the same area outside of Philadelphia. And I just got a Groupon for a personal training session 
I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but I walked in the first day, totally intimidated. Um, I look in the door and there's like these two really fit people that are like stretching and they, they, they clearly know what they're doing. And I'm like, Oh my God, I don't belong here. I almost walked away and I walked in and, and the first thing that the owner who was running like the, um, it was kind of like an intro, like get to know what we do here type of class. He's like, you know, for those of you that have been trying to lose weight, you've probably been going about this all wrong. Uh, you're probably doing too much cardio and what you need to do is build some muscle. And it was like, if you want to look better naked, if you want and he like started saying all the things that I wanted and I'm like, Oh my God, this is it. This is what I've been yeah. looking for. Um, fell in love with strength training. And um, he was actually the person that as I went through my own transformation, which by the way, there was many years after that, where I was still struggling with the nutrition side of things under eating while I was doing, but I, I loved the component of strength training where I could see myself progressing outside of just the scale, you know, going in and lifting yeah. heavier weights than the week before and things like that. Um, I had a lot to figure out on the nutrition side, but I, I was so invested in the strength training and muscle building process, even as I was missing the nutrition piece, it was enough to keep me going and showing up and knowing that I'm going to figure this out eventually. And um, he was the one that offered me a job to uh, start personal training. And that was how I originally got into the space. But I, I realized that there were so many people there that were like myself, where they're showing up to the gym every single day, but they're not making the changes that they want because the nutrition side was holding them back. And that was when I made the transition. I was like, okay, there's I'm more passionate about nutrition than I am training. Um, so I kind of made the pivot and became a nutrition coach, started working for another company, realized that they were very technical in their approach and everybody right. just got a cookie cutter plan and they were not very successful in creating results. And I was not okay with that. And when I started communicating with clients and we actually got to know each other as individuals and as humans, I created more transformations than anybody else there. And I was like, okay, I'm onto something here. It's not so much about the physiology. It's more about the psychology. And, and that kind of launched me into what I do today. So how did you evolve your coaching business based on the fact that you started training and coaching through more of the psychological component than the, uh, the physiological? Yeah. So my first exposure to nutrition coaching was literally just write a macro plan. And if somebody doesn't follow it, like it, they're the problem and just tell them to do better. And I, I mean, I had access to thousands of data points to show that it just wasn't effective. Mm -hmm. And telling somebody to be more consistent is like pretty obvious. They already know that. <laughs> like they don't need somebody else to tell them like, hey, you need to be more consistent. It's like, great. If it were that easy, then everybody would do it. And so the evolution for me was it's, it's so much more than just what are you eating? It's what are your thoughts around food and why do you feel like you have to be restrictive and, and why are we trying to change everything all at once? Like that was another thing that was very apparent when clients would come to us. It was like, well, I don't know if this is the right time for me because I don't have the time to do right. 17 different things at once. It's like, hold up, let's right. take a step back. Why do you think that you need to do 17 things at once? And how has that worked out for you in the past? And we can start to unpack some of those pre-existing beliefs about what this actually entails and what, what is the life that you want? What is the future that you want? What is the outcome that you truly desire? And once you get to the core reason for all of this, it's like, you know what? We're starting with way too many things. Let's just start with walking more and get mm -hmm. you feeling really good about doing one thing effectively. And what happens is all of a sudden the expectation is like the 
the weight is lifted off their shoulder. And it's like, yeah, I can do that. Great. Like, let's do that this week. And then the next week. So the, the answer to the question, it became so much less about macros. We can still use macros as a tool. And I always say right. that like macros aren't going anywhere. It's a tool right. that's available, but we need to lay the foundation first and we need to instill some habits that you can do forever. And we also need to kind of rewire your brain. So you stop thinking you have to be perfect. So you stop thinking you have to do a hundred things all at once. So you stop beating yourself up every time you make a mistake. And these are the things that we actually have to get through so that when you do utilize the tool of macros, it's coming from a sustainable place. It's coming from a healthy mm -hmm. relationship with food. And you're not looking at the numbers as the end all be all. You're not married to the numbers. You're not obsessed with the numbers. You're actually using a tool the way that it's intended to just like any tool. You know, if, if I want to use a hammer, it's quite effective for driving a nail into some wood, but if I want to use a hammer to like screw in a screw, it's pretty ineffective. Any tool that you're utilizing can be used for good or for bad. Um, so it's, let's make sure that we're implementing the tool in the right way. Um, and there's a lot more that we have. It was just, let's assess each individual as an individual um, and then meet them where they're at and gradually mm -hmm. walk them through the process of making the change that they desire. What I'm hearing is that there's a lot of different ways that we can help clients get the results that they want. And I think that conventional wisdom would lend itself to make us believe that you have to do it one specific way. I have to try this way. I have to try this calorie restrictive process. I have to try, well, that didn't work for me. So I should try this other completely different calorie uh, restrictive or calorie expenditure, whether exercise or nutrition or supplementation or whatever it is. And at the end of the day, it's not necessarily that any of those are wrong. They probably could have a place for the right person at the right time, but invariably what it's really coming down to is understanding the individual, understanding what their goals are, understanding what their readiness for change is, what their lifestyle looks like, you know, what they can realistically commit to. And then starting there. 100%. And, and a lot of times people don't like to hear that because right. thinking that there is a way, like a quote unquote, one way, the, the way, the secret, the, what am I missing? What's the one ingredient? Uh, that's a lot easier to wrap your head around mm -hmm. than it is to say, you know what, you're actually going to be a part of the solution. And this is, right. this is the difference. It's, it's a very subtle difference in the frame for the individual. Because if I tell you, like, there's this way of doing things that works for everybody, and let's just say we had it, okay? There's this way that works for everybody. And we're just going to hand you the playbook. Um, I'm going to give you this playbook and you're just going to execute if it doesn't work, right? Let's say the client is like insanely consistent and they're just following this playbook to a T. If it doesn't work, guess whose fault it is? It's the coach because the client just followed the, the rules. They just went mm -hmm. by, you know, mm -hmm. like you see all these programs out there now, like, you know, 75 hard and whole, mm -hmm. whole 30 and all these things where there's a very clear rule book. And if mm -hmm. I follow the rules and it doesn't work for me, well, now I've, I'm abdicating responsibility onto this other source. Like, Hey, it's your fault. I did what I was supposed to do, but I don't have the results that I was promised. So you're the problem. And it, and it puts people in a, in a place of not taking ownership. Totally. So the way that we're talking about it, the way that we're talking about it in, in terms of everybody's different and we're going to meet somebody where they're at and they're actually going to be a part of the solution that is uncomfortable because it takes extreme ownership to say it's a collaborative effort 
We're asking you to modify your behavior over a long, we're not asking you to follow the rules for 30 days. We're not asking you to do something for 75 days. We're asking you to change your behavior over the rest of your life. We're asking you to modify your habits and your routines and your thoughts and how you regulate emotions and all of these different things that require you to be a part of the solution. And it's a, it comes from a place of taking ownership and realizing that if I want this change, I have to be a part of the solution. And that can be scary for some people to realize totally. that if it doesn't work, I don't have any fingers to point because there is no, there is no quote unquote, like plan, right? Like it should change with the individual. It should That's right. adapt with the individual. It should evolve with the individual. So there's no like, well, now I can point the finger if this doesn't work. Right. It's I'm the one that's responsible for my own results and outcomes. And, and that can be a really dis, you know, uncomfortable place to be. It's almost like helping them acknowledge that there really are no rules exactly. when it comes to it. And that is very uncomfortable for people to understand. But I think it's very necessary. And what you probably are seeing as well as I'm seeing consistently is that I think people are ready and willing to acknowledge that they need to finally take ownership over their results because they've tried so many of these things, these rule-based systems, if you will, uh, previously with no return on investment. And I know that was the route that you went at what point in your journey of yo-yo dieting and exercise and all of that stuff, did you really have the epiphany? And, and frankly, how long did you struggle with that? And do you still struggle with that on a daily basis? There's a few good questions in there. And, and I wanted to point out something that you mentioned earlier in the podcast, where you said, we all figure this out at our own pace. And um, I was a slower learner because I kept repeating the same mistakes over and over again, thinking that I could shortcut the process and there had to be something I was missing. And I would look for other people to give me that answer. And if they didn't, then I would place blame. It was their fault. I would never, you know, take ownership. I would play the victim. And um, there, there's a concept called uh, Cartman's drama triangle where you have three roles that take place in the triangle. And it's a, a psychology concept that explains a lot when you understand it, but um, there's, there's the victim role, there's the villain, and there's the rescuer. And, and in order for the triangle to exist, all three roles need to be present. And a lot of times we victimize ourselves and then we point fingers at somebody else who did something wrong. Like you gave me this plan, it didn't work. You're the bad guy. So now we've got the victim and the villain. And then we look for the rescuer to come in and save us who's our savior going to be, which is typically the next diet. Oh, this must totally. be the savior that I'm looking for. And then they become the villain because it didn't work. So we point the finger at them and we look for the next person. Um, so for me, it was close to a decade of, of struggle. And I would say to answer the question of, are there things that I still struggle with? Any coach out there, anybody that you follow, anybody that you're consuming content from or that you view as an authority, if they appear to have it all figured out, they're full of shit. That is my feeling. There are 100% things that I still struggle with today. I still invest a lot of time and money in my own growth and development. I still have a coach um, that handles my nutrition, that handles my training. I still have a coach for business. I still have a coach for personal development. Um, I'm in therapy to better, better myself. Like I truly, there are a lot of things that I know I can do better. And that's always going to be a work in progress. I'll, I'm never going to be a finished product. On the nutrition side in particular, the 
turning point for me was just one of those things where I had reached such a dark place in hating myself. Even at my leanest, I went from 250, which was, was probably even heavier because I hadn't stepped on the scale for a while after I'd started exercising. Uh, so it was probably more like 260 at my heaviest down to 165 at my lightest. And I hated my body at 165. I picked it apart. Uh, I looked at myself in the mirror. I couldn't stand what I was looking at. I had this um, ideal that I was this, this standard that I was supposed to quote unquote, supposed to meet. And it was never going to be good enough. And what I started to recognize about myself was my obsessive tendencies where uh, originally my goal was just get below 200 pounds. I would achieve it. And then I would push the goalpost back, which a lot of people do. I'll be happy when I'm totally you know, X weight, you get to that weight, nothing changes because you haven't actually figured out why this is important to you. You've just attached an arbitrary number to a goal and you're like, okay, I got there, but my life is still the same. Uh, and it didn't fix anything. Maybe it's 10 more pounds. That's what I was missing. So I, I played that game. It was 200, then it was 190 and 180 and 170. It was never going to be good enough. Um, and I developed such a poor relationship with food. Um, I was such a perfectionist. I was obsessed with hitting my macros to the gram that I was missing out on life. And I was creating a divide. And I was married at the time. Um, I'm since divorced. And that was a big wedge in our relationship was my obsessiveness with achieving whatever it was that I thought I was trying to achieve uh, and becoming so obsessed with food and not wanting to go out and be social and thinking if I do that, I'm sabotaging all of my results. Uh, so I spent, you know, weekends telling friends that I was sick and I couldn't go out with them, um, skipping family events. I'm very close with my family and I would miss out because God forbid, I don't hit my macros perfectly. And right. uh, it was just reaching kind of the rock bottom. And then looking back, at all the stuff I had tried and realizing it was just a different version of the same thing. Every program had a list of rules and it was restrictive and it was unsustainable. And that, that was kind of the, the turning point for me was like, there has to be a better way that allows me to still be a human. And I felt like I really lost myself in that process. So it was just kind of a wake up call in realizing I don't want to live like this anymore. And I, I know that I'm smart enough to figure this out, even though it had been probably close to 10 years that I had struggled. And I just started researching for myself. I started learning more about human metabolism and how our bodies work and fueling appropriately and what it actually takes to build muscle and recover and all of the inputs and outputs of stress and what that does to our bodies. And it started to create some light bulb moments of, okay, now I understand why I had no energy and why my hunger signals were all out of whack and why my mood was terrible and my digestion was terrible. All of these things started to make sense from a physiological standpoint. Um, and then I, I started working with a coach. My, one of my first coaches was Christian Thibodeau, who was amazingly yeah. generous. I got on Skype with him before I even hired him. We spent two hours on Skype just talking. And he was the first person that was like, you know, have you ever considered that you're trying to work against your nature and the way that you're wired instead of working with it? And we had this whole long conversation about my personality. We didn't talk about training. We didn't talk about nutrition. We just talked about me as a human being and as a dynamic, unique individual. And it was like, that truly changed my results. When I started working with him, it was like 12 weeks. My body changed more than it did in the previous, you know, probably 10 years. So um, mm -hmm. I was convinced that if I could take what I was learning about how to assess an individual and create an adaptive solution for each person, that the results would match. And, and that has been the case. And that was the uh, impetus for your 
personality-based coaching model? It was, yeah. That was, it, like it led me down this rabbit hole of personality psychology, positive psychology, human behavior. You know, you mentioned wanting to know about the technical side. You have to know the technical side as well. Um, anybody who's an effective coach will be really proficient at technical and adaptive solutions, but they'll take a technical solution and also make it an adaptive one. Um, an example is like, if I go to the doctor and I get diagnosed with, with cancer, and I don't know why I keep using such morose examples, but <laughs> I get diagnosed with cancer. There's, there's the technical solution that the oncologist should give me, but they should also tell me like, are we getting our affairs in order? And how do you have this conversation with your family? Those are things that you can't just prescribe. That's adaptive and individual based. So even the technical solution should be included with an adaptive solution. Sure. So we given a client the technical solution for losing weight. It's actually pretty simple. The adaptive solution has to be attached to it. So we know it's going to work for this individual. And that's absolutely. And that's really like, I just became obsessed with understanding that part of the equation. We really do leverage our coaching process around, you know, making informed decisions around data. It, it is a science-based process at the end of the day. However, the nuance of that is it's very, very individual. And so a lot of the ways that we interpret the data has to lend itself to reading between the lines and understanding if and when someone isn't being consistent, what is it telling us and what is the, the, the conversation need to be around why? Because everyone has the tools to be able to do the technical aspects. Like that's not the hard part. The hard part is figuring out in this crazy life that we're living, okay, perhaps the, the prescription was unrealistic or it's just simply not realistic for them at that given time under the given circumstances. And so that's where meeting them where they are and having the actual conversation around, okay, well, what needs to happen around these behaviors and being able to help them refine the process, so to speak. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I think that data should be used in all areas of life because it is very informative. Uh, now there's the caveat to that, which is data that helps to inform decisions and behaviors is quite exactly. useful. Data for the sake of data can be a distraction. There's these people that call themselves data-driven, and I consider myself very data-driven, but I have found myself at times in my life where I was just tracking things just to track them, and it didn't actually inform my behaviors or decisions. So it was wasted time and energy that really wasn't helping me. And you know, a lot of times we get caught up in thinking we're being productive, like it's the classic, well, I'm really busy because I'm gathering all this data. But if you're not actually using the data to inform your behaviors and decisions, then it's, it's probably a waste of time. Um, so that's where the balance comes into play is, are we actually using the data to inform our behaviors? If yes, amazing, because that can help us to make more logical decisions and conclusions versus emotional ones, or trying to go in with a preconceived notion and then using data to like fit what you already believe or assume mm -hmm. that of the scientific approach, like you mentioned, which is I have a hypothesis, but I'm open to any answer being correct. Like there, there's not just one way I'm open to endless possibilities and I'm going to use data to help uh, determine which path we should try. And if that doesn't work, we're going to, you know, use the data to make another you know, hypotheses, and we're going to start that process over again until we find what works for that individual. At the end of the day, most important is, is really just being able to leverage it to track progress. 
and say, you know, listen, there's subjective data too. It doesn't just have to be hard numbers on the scale or, you know, net calorie intake or circumference measurements. And that's when we talk about metabolism and biofeedback and things like hunger and energy and cravings and mood. It's like, Hey, you know, it's been 12 weeks. The scale hasn't budged, but I fucking feel amazing and I'm sleeping better and I have more energy and, you know, my libido's back and I'm hungry again and write all of these things. So I think that's really important too, for people to understand is that we do have to have some outcomes that we're shooting for, but it's more about, okay, how are we facilitating those outcomes in a way that works best for you? It comes full circle to something that we alluded to earlier, which is not changing everything all at once, because if you start to see all of these positive trends, but you've manipulated five different inputs at once, well, what actually caused that change. We have no idea. We're just guessing. We're like, well, we, we changed everything. We have no idea what worked and what you know may have been a waste of time. And that's where taking the approach of let's, let's focus on the, the one thing, one thing that you can confidently do this week and really get comfortable with that before we make any other changes. And then we know we can tease out like this made a huge difference. And I'm a big believer in the minimum effective dose. And so yeah. my feeling is that if we can get the same outcome with less effort and less time invested, that's a win. So if my like maximum muscle growth potential could be accomplished with three days per week of training, sign me up for that. Like I'll take the minimum effective dose versus having to, you know, go seven days a week. That's, that's too much. I don't want to do that. So um, I think that we should be looking for the minimum effective dose in, in really all areas of our life. Now that doesn't mean that we want to be lazy or just coast, but we should know what that looks like And then there's going to be some areas where we want to give more, you know, we want to focus more of our attention. Maybe it's, you know, my relationship is really struggling right now. And so that's going to take away some time and energy from my fitness or from my nutrition, but I know what my minimum effective dose is with my fitness and nutrition. So I can put more energy and emphasis on my relationship right now while I execute the minimum effective dose in this other area of my life. To me, it makes perfect sense. And I'm a strong proponent of less is more because I'm 43. And at this point in my life, I don't want to fucking have to do more than I need to do. And I think this is exactly the, what our clients and our listeners need to hear is trying to counter the the conventional wisdom around having to do everything. And I just did a webinar on this a couple of days ago, but basically the understanding and using science to back this up is we know very clearly that exercise is not a good weight loss tool. As an example, you go out and for a run and you burn 500 calories, like you do that every day, you don't lose a pound of scale weight. Your body has these compensatory mechanisms that contribute to putting those calories back in one way or another or minimizing them going back out. And so just simply these concepts, I think are so important for, for people to understand that so much of it really is driven in what can we realistically commit to on a daily basis, that's going to help you move the needle. But, but more so is like, how do we get you to ingrain this process into your lifestyle and stop looking at it as an all or nothing approach. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to start this on Monday. This is going to be a three month program. That way I'll be ready for summer vacation. And then I'll be there instead of truly the hard conversations around one, helping the client develop the autonomy, you know, taking extreme ownership over the process, but also like really helping them fall in love with the process, because ultimately it's the only way that they're going to make long-term change to start to 
appreciate the daily walks, how to really start to fall in love with the strength training process, that they're going to be able to and want to start to eat healthier foods and manage their calorie intake because they know it makes them feel good and stop drinking so much at night because they sleep better and then have more energy and, you know, this perpetual cycle. Totally. And I think there's, there's two things as you were talking that, that really stood out is number one, if you have a plan that requires you to be at your best every day, it's a terrible plan. Uh, your plan should allow you to be at your average and still make progress and still feel good about what you're doing. Uh, it's not realistic to beat your best. It's like going to the gym and trying to PR every single lift. You would never expect that. But yet we kind of set that expectation. A lot of times when we, when we join these programs that are like, you know, they inundate us with all of these rules and things we have to follow. And we're just required to be perfect in our execution. We just expect that we're going to beat our best all the time. It's a terrible plan to follow. Uh, mm -hmm. And the other thing is eliminating the finish line and realizing yeah. that there is there is no end date to this. And, and that can sometimes feel overwhelming, but it can also feel very liberating. If you realize like there's, there's actually no rush. And if I stop putting so much pressure on myself to figure this all out right now, then I can give myself more grace when I do make a poor decision. You know, you mentioned like, Oh, I, I drank too much. And then I woke up and I felt really shitty the next day. And you know, maybe I want to gradually move out of that and, and not use alcohol as a coping mechanism or not use that as the only means of, of winding down. Like we've become so accustomed to doing, and that can be a slow process and it's okay because I, if I know that there's no end date and I know there's no finish line, I'm just trying to gradually get better over time. And I'm not putting so much pressure on myself to have it completed by X date. Well, I can give myself grace when I get hammered one night and I'm like, you know what? It happened. I, I had a great time. I'm just going to, you know, chalk it up and, and, and move on. And you're, there's not as much pressure and, and shame built around that when you, when you can remove the need mm -hmm. for a finish line and an end date. Um, so I really think you're right. Those, those conversations need to be had. And sometimes it's one of those things where you have to learn from experience and you have to look at hindsight as, as a great lesson to say, you know what, if, if this other way was going to work, it probably would have worked by now. And, and that was the realization that I had to come to personally. Like if this whole restrictive, you know, chronic dieting cycle, if this was going to be effective, I, I would hope that over a 10 year period, it would have already worked. And since that's not the case, I probably need to find a different approach. One of the things that you mentioned earlier was about really acknowledging that we all have our own issues, especially those of us that are in this space, like coaches do what they do because they've had to overcome their own issues right? And that's certainly been your case. That's certainly been my case, like, especially for us fitness coaches, you know, when your identity is tied to you looking a certain way, like that can be very, very challenging for you to drift at any capacity away from who it is that you think you are or should be. Why this I think matters for people to hear one is, is that of course we experience the same challenges that you do as, as a listener, but two is that we have to be proactive about the process. And one of the things you mentioned is that you have had and still have coaches in all of these various elements of your life, which I want to acknowledge and applaud you for because I do too. I have a nutrition coach. I have a, a coach who writes my training programs. I have a business coach. Um, I'm in a men's group for 
fathers and business owners and husbands that, you know, just trying to get better. And one of the things that we talk about, especially at this juncture, like if you're listening and you've tried all of these things, right? All of these technical routes to try and get results. At what point do you acknowledge that it's not about how you get there? It's, it's really about who you're surrounding yourself with. Who are you turning to, to help you walk the path to quote unquote success, to, to the change that you're looking for? Who has been there before that can help you navigate that journey? I would love for you, Mike, to comment on the value that you find in the coaching process and why that might be relevant. You just unlocked one of the only shortcuts to my knowledge of, of actually making the process quicker. Everybody wants the shortcut. They're like, let me, you know, how can I rip the bandaid off? How can I make this happen quicker? And, and the irony to all of that is, is playing the long game is actually playing the short game because the more you try to shortcut the process, the longer it takes in the end. So right. the, the, the long game actually is the shortcut, but exactly. you just got something that is truly, if I had to say one of the only shortcuts that actually exists, which is if you want to get better at managing your money, hang around with people who already manage their money well. If you want to get better at you know, your, your mindset around fitness and nutrition, hang out around people who already have been there and have done that or are on the same path that you're on. Put yourself in that environment, surrounding yourself with people. And, and the environment isn't just people, but it's also what you're consuming, what you're listening to, who you're allowing to enter your, your brain space um, all of that is part of your environment. Yes, there's the physical environment, but there's also accounts that you're following on Instagram that you would probably be better off not following. Mm-hmm. Um, there's things that you're reading that you'd probably be better off not reading, uh, but it's really truly uh, fostering your environment, which you have control over uh, and, and cultivating the environment that allows you to really shortcut the process. People and, and who you're investing in and who you're on the journey with Absolutely is one of the shortcuts that you can take. Uh, I always say if I'm in a, in a room, like I, I mentioned a personal development program that I'm in, everybody that's in, there's like 30 of us in this group. And I'm fairly confident that everybody in that group makes more money than I do, which is the exact group that I want to be in. Like if I want to level up as a human, I want to be around people who are doing it better than I am. And we're all on the same path together. So it's the conversations that we're having in that group it's just a higher level of conversation. It's, it's a very vulnerable space. It's very authentic. It's all of these things that I value that I really want to, I want to be that example. I want to live that life. I, I look at the future me and I'm like, you know, the, the future me will thank me currently for going through this process now. And there's, there's an amazing book called Be Your Future Self Now by Dr. Benjamin Hardy. And I highly recommend everybody read that because it, it helps you to understand and, and get very familiar with that future version of you and the decisions that that person will make. And how can you get so close and comfortable and intimate with that person that you make decisions in the moment that benefit that future you? And uh, there, there's an example in the book of like, I think it was, was Seinfeld was, was on a show once and he was doing an interview and, and he was beautifully describing this, this kind of dynamic that we live in, in modern day, where it's like, 
well, yeah, of course I'm going to go out and get drunk tonight, even though I have a 6 a.m. meeting, but, but that's morning me's problem. That's not my problem. That's morning me. Right. right? And so we're like, we're pushing it off to this future version of us that we're like, he'll deal with that. I don't have to deal with that. Um, and, and that's one of the problems that we face is like, no, we actually want to take care of that future version of us. And in the book, really, it comes from a perspective of, of positive psychology, uh, which is an area that I've researched a lot lately um, over the past probably five, six years. And, it, and it's looking at how do we actually like most of psychology has, has focused on, on negative feelings and depression and anxiety. And it's an important field of research, of course, but it, it kind of ignored how do we how do we learn from people that are, are happy and are thriving and have this like amazing quality of life? And what can we take away from that? And one of the things in the book um, that the author talks about is, is being connected with that future version of you and knowing that I can make decisions now to delay that gratification because future me in five years is going to really benefit from what I'm doing today. Um, and, and that's part of that investment is a lot of times we think of the immediate investment of, oh my God, I have to pay this money to this coach. I have to make this investment in this group or this community um, or this mentor, recognizing that it might be a short-term, you know, quote unquote cost, even though I would argue that the return on the investment is well worth it. But even if we just look at it as a cost, what's that going to do for you in five years? And and how is that going to, you know, the future you, that version of you that you want to be in five years, 10 years, um, think about what you're doing for that person and, and really get to know that individual. And all of a sudden that that decision becomes very apparent and it's no longer an expense and it's an, it's an investment in the future version of yourself. Yeah. Who you surround yourself with, who you invest in, who you're on this journey with. Uh, it's one of the only shortcuts that actually exists. We're obviously on the same page. And, and I think we very clearly <laughs> illustrated the point that we're getting across here. And so I guess it begs the question for those of you that are listening is, understanding the route that you've been on up to this point, what it is specifically that you feel like you're still struggling with and, and ultimately identifying if you want to stay going down the technical route, or you're ready to just simply identify who it is that's going to help you get where you want to go, because you clearly understand now, especially if you're listening to this show, you clearly understand that it is about the process. It's about the long-term journey, which ultimately is going to be the short-term fix. Uh, And so once you've identified that, then it's just a matter of who's going to help you get there. And that's the beautiful thing about why I get to do this. And I have the opportunity and privilege to interview amazing, knowledgeable, inspirational people like Mike every single week is you can choose anyone that you resonate with because there's so many ways for us to help you. It's just a matter of who you want to truly commit to and then just do it. That is my biggest ask of you. And so perhaps that's Mike Milner. Mike, um, if they want to find out more about you, how can they connect with you? Yeah, the the best place to connect with me is probably on Instagram. Uh, The handle is at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner. Uh, if anybody wants to listen to my podcast, it's called Mind Over Macros. And uh, those are probably the two best ways to stay connected. Um, either one is is perfect. Amazing. Well, you guys know we'll have those uh, links in the show notes. So make sure you follow Coach Mike Milner there. His podcast is brilliant. His Instagram page uh, has awesome content and his emails are fantastic. So you definitely want to get on his email list as well. Mike, any parting words, man? 
Yeah. So um, I really appreciate the conversation. This has been a lot of fun. One of the things that you mentioned was, you know, make a decision, you know, decide who you want to work with or, or the fact that what you've been doing up to this point hasn't really gotten you to where you want to be. So you probably have to just make the decision and go. And I don't want to just gloss over that because it seems obvious, but it's also a sticking point for a lot of people. And what I always say is really you have two choices in these scenarios. One thing that we know is that living with incongruence, uh, where you're out of alignment with what you say you want and what your actions say you want. So my espoused values are not matching my real life in action values. That creates internal struggle and anxiety and depression has a lot of negative consequences. So we don't we don't want to we want to close that gap, right? We want to what we say our espoused values are. We want to live them in practice. So if that's not happening, if you say I want sustainable results. I want this, this lifelong solution. I want to do this the right way. I want to feel better. I want to be more confident and, and achieve these results. Um, but in execution, it's not happening. You really have two choices. You can change your actions to align with your words, or you can change your words to align with your actions. And that's really it. Um, if you change your actions to align with your words, that might look like investing in a coach and, and making the changes that we're talking about. Or you can say, you know what? I'm just not willing to do that. I'm going to stay the same. That's also a valid choice. There's nothing wrong with that saying it's not a priority for me. I'm okay with that, that it's not a priority and I'm not going to make this change. But if I don't make this change, then I have to just accept where I am currently. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, the, and the point here is just decide. Uh, there's there a great quote that I read the other day that said, uh, the road of life is paved with flattened squirrels who couldn't make a decision. Um, so indecision is, is not a great decision. Just, you know, pick a lane and, and roll with it and be okay with it. And I know that's sometimes easier said than done, but um, hopefully that gives somebody just kind of that little nudge that you need to, to just make a decision one way or the other. Brilliant. I appreciate that, brother. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. And uh, Mike, we'll catch up again soon. For everyone else, we will catch you guys next week. Take care. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here are four ways I can help you in your nutrition journey for free. One, grab a free copy of my Fat Loss Fix Guide at fatlossfixguide.com. Two, join my free group at smartnutritionmadesimple.com. Three, subscribe to my YouTube channel at smartnutritionmadesimpletv.com. Four, leave a five-star rating and positive review so that we can gain access to more nutrition experts ready to share their knowledge with you and ultimately help more people make smart nutrition simple. 